So in today's episode, I'm going to break down the importance of self-awareness and how to develop it. Let's get to it. Self-awareness is arguably the most important trait for anyone wanting to achieve at high levels. I'll explain it this way. How can you know what to improve if you don't know the problem? How can you plan for obstacles that you aren't aware of? Drew Gerald says, look outside and you will see yourself. Look inside and you will find yourself. And so with that being said, there are two categories of self-awareness, which are internal and external self-awareness. Internal is knowing who you are, what you want, and why. External self-awareness is knowing how people perceive you. Now that I've explained this, I'll dive into the benefits or incentives that come from becoming self-aware. The first I'll mention is that it leads to better understanding of why you're not getting what you want in life. And so when you can reflect and see your flaws, it can explain so much about why you come up short in different endeavors. Before again, it is, or at least what I think that it should be. My favorite definition of it is the following one that I got from Forbes. Leadership is a process of social influence, which maximizes the effort of others toward the achievement of a goal. And so with that being said, here are the three biggest lessons I learned from my own leadership experiences, as well as when I was a subordinate. Lesson number one, purpose. The biggest and most glaring lesson I've learned is to only take leadership roles in organizations that align with what you value. This is important because it plays a major role in your ability to be able to buy into the mission or goal of that organization. If your head isn't in it, it makes it so much harder to go the extra mile and sometimes even to complete your regular responsibilities. And so I've had plenty of experiences and situations like this from my time in military organizations. And so I was in one called Silver Air Patrol some years back, and I also completed the Corps of Cadets program during my time in Texas A&M. And so the latter is where I gained the most experience. When I was in the Corps, the activities, goals, and mission didn't align with what I valued at the time. I was initially considering going into the military, but once I changed my mind about that during my freshman year, it no longer aligned with my goals or aspirations. I stuck with it anyway, though, hoping for it to be a resume-building opportunity. I had a lack of interest in the activities since they didn't correlate with who I wanted to be at the time or what I wanted to do, and this led to a disconnect. Besides the physical training and leadership courses, I didn't see the full value behind a lot of the things that we were doing. My personal goal at the time was to be a better candidate for jobs so I could land the highest paying role possible coming out of school. And at the time, I couldn't see the correlation between what we did and how it helped me to reach that future. And so as a result, I developed a pretty negative attitude towards the organization and struggled to find a motivation to actively participate. And so even though I wasn't able to plug in like I needed to, I still felt the need to continue so I could add that experience to my resume and also push to be in leadership roles to boost what I had on paper. As a leader, I was expected to teach others and enforce standards on them that I really didn't have a strong desire to follow on my own, much less even see the value in why they were enforced in the first place. And this resulted in me rubbing my peers and some of my subordinates the wrong way when I was coming up short. Overall, I made myself miserable for a large part of my college experience, and I negatively affected the experiences of some of the people who truly wanted to be there. And so in hindsight, I can see how much of the bigger picture I was missing when I was in it, but I didn't gain a lot in the moment. And I wouldn't say that I regret being involved in the Corps of Cadets because it provided me with plenty of great connections that I still talk to today that helped my growth and development 
And those four years of experience also gave me awareness of where I was lacking as a leader like nothing else I've been involved in before. But taking into account what my primary goal was at that time when I was in school doing it, which was working to land the best career opportunity possible, I could have found plenty of other clubs and organizations on campus that I would have actually been excited to participate in and in turn would have offered more value to my subordinates to help them flourish instead of potentially hindering their growth. And so if a leader hasn't bought in, he'll have plenty of trouble getting others to. You can only expect so much from yourself in regard to the results when you don't have a strong motivation to be involved in the first place. And so if you don't see enough value in what you're teaching to implement it yourself, you're in the wrong organization. Don't make the same mistake and let your apathy or ulterior motives negatively affect others. The next lesson I have for you guys is status. The status of a role should not be your motivation to take it. Not only is this ego driven, but it might not be the right. You might not be the right fit for that position, guys. And so it's one thing if you are one of the best options your organization has for that role. But if you're lacking in vital areas that are crucial for success in it and there are more qualified candidates, you owe it to the group that you're in to leave those opportunities for someone else. And so this ties back to what I was saying in the last point that I made. Being self-serving in an organization instead of mission focused can lead to you being detrimental to your team. And so while it may make you feel good to be the president or the captain, it's also a pretty dismal feeling when you don't meet expectations. And so overall, this results in your team not performing to the best of its abilities because you weren't able to achieve all the needed results due to the fact that you were not a good fit for the role. It's one thing to want to put yourself in a position that stretches your abilities and helps you grow, but don't let it be to the detriment of the people under you. Have the self-awareness to know if you can muster the rest of what's needed to fill the gaps. Also, consult your peers, mentors, and other people who had the position in the past to get feedback about what they've seen from you. And if that history that they talk about has shown you fall short in the areas needed, you should work on yourself first before you move up and fail on the bigger stage when the consequences are higher. And so another idea to consider is that you don't always have to be at the top to offer value. If anything, look to take the role where you offer the most value based on your skills. If you're an expert in finance and economics, think of the total value you'd offer as the chief financial officer of a company compared to being a CEO with just average skills. And so lesson number three is people. Listen to your team and offer praise whenever possible. When your team members specialize in their own smaller tasks, they develop a much greater sense of what works and what doesn't on the lower levels of your team's operations. And so with that being said, it's crucial that you take their input into account when you make decisions that affect them. Having enough respect for them to offer this sort of courtesy will lead to, a more, will lead to more complete solutions to the issues you're trying to solve, and it will also promote a positive culture in your team. Respecting their input shows them that they're a valued member of the team. They develop a sense of duty to provide results that measure up to that sense of importance that you gave them. They are no longer just working to complete their task. They are working to not let you or the team down. And a lot of times, they will go above and beyond to do so. People like to be recognized. If team members feel like the value of their contributions aren't being felt, they'll most likely revert to doing the bare minimum or close to it. Offering praise recharges the batteries of your subordinates 
and it will most likely lead to them taking those positive actions again and again and again. And so the next point I'll add uh, to this is that you have to take the time to get to know your people. And so it gives you a better sense of who you're working with, what they bring to the table, what drives them, and what might potentially limit their impact. An example of this is how team members can have different reactions to communication styles. I read a book called The Flip Side by Flip Flippin. Uh, that's a tongue twister, uh, which talks about the different personality constraints that lead to people not performing well in different areas of life. And so I remember a constraint type called the ostrich, which is when a person takes criticism or direct communication to the heart, resulting in them shutting down. And so from getting to know your people, you can find out if you have someone like this on your team. It's not something that should be catered to long term, in my opinion, but in the early stages of team building, it can be helpful to keep this in mind to build good rapport and help them grow out of it. <coughs> so the last point I want to make when it comes to people is to have empathy. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes can assist in getting the intended results from your people for the long haul. And so noticing how tough a task can be for an inexperienced member of the team or seeing how someone's issues in their personal life might be affecting their mood can assist in you making adjustments that will help ensure that you get take the right actions when you're dealing with them. And so your people will appreciate your willingness to be understanding of their personal challenges, and that in itself will motivate them even more to rise above those situations, to be victorious, and come back stronger. And so at the end of the day, guys, it's up to you to decide what type of impact you want to have on the people you touch throughout your life. And so I know I'm not satisfied with the story that I've written so far, and I'm making conscious decisions to make the most out of my current leadership opportunities and those in the future. And so I hope that this episode motivates you guys to do the same. Thanks for listening. See things for what they are as they develop without letting feelings or opinions shape them. I would argue that cell phone use has greatly damaged people's ability to be present in the moment, but meditation can help reverse that. I started meditating consistently about three months ago, and I've definitely seen results. Instead of going into autopilot mode uh, all the time in my interactions and other things, developing mindfulness through meditation has given me the ability to truly enjoy experiences and focus on what I'm doing in the moment, as well as reflect and recalibrate in the middle of uncomfortable and new situations and adjust right then and there, as opposed to after the fact. And so the next one is probably the easiest to implement, and that is observing others to gain self-awareness. I know this might sound off, but hear me out. When you take the time to observe others and see how different environments, social dynamics, and events affect them, it will make you reflect on how you would react in those similar circumstances. Seeing others respond differently from how you would can also bring awareness to aspects of your own character or mindset that you might want to change. And so when I used to work on campus as a student assistant, I noticed that my boss always seemed to be full of energy. version of yourself to others, it magnifies negative emotions. And so the last trait, which is definitely not the least important, is to be dangerous. This one might raise some eyebrows, but I think that this is vital for a man that wants to fully flourish and be the best version of himself. I'm sure all of you have heard the Teddy Roosevelt quote, speak softly and carry a big stick. You will go far. You must be a threat in some sort of way to protect your personal autonomy. As a man. This is something that you can't and shouldn't depend on anyone else for. Everyone we deal with in life won't have the same goals, morals, or character as us. 
Not everyone that we come across will be as civilized or respectful as us. We have also seen throughout history and even in modern times, actually, where governments have posed a threat to their citizens' safety and freedoms. With that being said, we must have the ability to enforce consequences on those that pose a threat so that we can protect ourselves, others, or a cause that we choose to defend. In what ways can a man be dangerous? Of course, physical power is the most obvious, but that's usually only needed in extreme situations where the lives of people you care about or your own are in danger. In most cases in modern society, the threats that you face are going to be social or financial. To give examples of what I'm talking about, think of white-collar criminals, malignant narcissists, manipulators, bullies, along with any other self-serving people that might try to disrupt your mission or take advantage of you and others. These situations can be handled by equipping yourself with the mental and social capital to counter the efforts of these people. So how do we give ourselves the power to protect what we 